Today, President Trump issues new recommendations, including limiting gatherings to less than 10 people, 15 days to uh, avoid the spread or something like that. We will get into that. Also, major cities shutting down to combat coronavirus. What are the ramifications of that? We've got a lot coming up and it starts right now. Welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez, today joined in studio by Stubergear, who apparently is also expendable like I am. Yeah, they don't and, care. And so we're just we're just here. It's true. They don't they don't care at all. They're just throwing <laughs> us to the wolves. It's funny because they call us I guess we're considered essential because non-essential people who non-essential to the studio are working from home, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's the reverse. Yeah, like the people they want to protect, they leave at home. They leave at home, healthy. right. And then us, they're like, eh, who cares if they die? <laughs> right, so, yeah. all right, thanks, uh, big man. <laughs> We've also got via Skype, Josh Hammer. Um, Josh, thanks for being here. We, uh, You may be in studio with us later this week, but for now, we've allowed you to, uh, to self-quarantine yourself over at home. <laughs> Sarah, it is an honor and a privilege to wait out the zombie apocalypse with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Josh. We feel the same way. Um, all right. Obviously, we've got a lot to get into with coronavirus. So much has happened over the weekend uh, and even this morning or this afternoon, rather. Let's get into first President Trump, who just issued new recommendations. Um, he just had a press conference. Stu, I know you heard most of it, mm -hmm. um, but he just had a press conference where he announced that that uh, he was limiting, or the CDC rather, was rec recommending that we limit gatherings to less than 10 people, uh, not just in bars and restaurants, but in homes as well. So if you guys have a big family or like a bunch of roommates, yeah. I guess you're SOL. All of our Mormon audience right now is like, what? Only 10 people? <laughs> <laughs> what do we do with all these kids? <laughs> so it's called, what is it, 15 days to slow the spread. So no public gatherings, no eating or drinking in bars, restaurants, food courts, uh, diners should use drive-through pickup and delivery options, no shopping trips, um, and cutting back on social visits. Now, obviously, this is a guideline. This isn't something that he has implemented, um, you know, as a forced thing. However, that has happened in, um, what, L.A., in New York, I think New Jersey and Connecticut, and we'll get into those as well. But, Stu, the, the stock market reacted to President Trump's <laughs> announcement, and I'm going to guess it wasn't well. It did. It's, uh, it was not well. I, w I will agree with you on that. It was uh, down about 3,000 points, the largest single point drop in uh, history. Oh, good. Um, yet again, we keep setting that record. It's not one we want, but we keep setting it over now, and over Now, to be again. fair, we did set some records leading up to this point, right? Right. We, really set, we set the record, what, two or three times two weeks ago, and then two times last week, and then we set it again on Monday today. Um, and it hit the stock market, um, you know, has these little tripwires where it's 7% down uh, the, on the S&P 500. It, it uh, stops the market for 15 minutes. That happened within the first three minutes of trading today, uh, which was not great. And then actually the Dow got down below 13%, which would have started another um, pause. But the S&P didn't quite get there, so it didn't get to that second pause. But the bottom line is it's still the second worst day in history, with the exception of 1987. One of the reasons why, and when it really started dropping when Trump was talking, is he said he believes it's going to be July or August until we really get this under control, 
which is, I mean, it's March. If you have kids right now, it's freaking March. Uh, March, April, May, June, July. Like, that's that's a long time What about now. many months would induce any kind of panic I still? Know, I know. I mean, think about this. And, and what, what does that mean to the economy? You're shutting down the global economy for five or six months? It's going to be devastating, um, even if it's just that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different things to consider here. The loss of life being, obviously, number one. And then you go down the line to economy and po- the politics of all of this. I mean, this is this is our life now. It's totally different than it was two weeks ago. Totally different. It's amazing how fast these things can change, especially when you're thinking, you know, world superpower, the year 2020. How do these things happen? They happen, and they happen fast when they do. Yeah. Josh, what is your take on uh, President Trump's most recent announcement and uh, the stock market reaction in return? Sarah, I don't even know what to say, honestly. I mean, this is by far, I think, the most insane story of any of our lifetimes. I mean, it was probably 9-11 before that. I think we are easily past the point where this has eclipsed that. I mean, I was in New York City in late February. Don't get too nervous if I'm going to be there in studio. It was a few weeks ago <laughs> at this point. But even at that time, it had, it, had, it had just been announced. And this guy I was meeting with was doing like the whole elbow bump thing. And I thought that he was just being like insane. I was like, this is so silly. And now the thought of like interacting with someone, let alone doing a handshake, is itself insane. So Stu's point is totally, totally right. Like, like this whole thing has just like gone to warp speed overnight. Now, here's the worry for Trump, obviously. The worry for Trump is that this historically is 100% the kind of thing that can destroy presidency. Um, now, we're looking at July and August as a possible time for this to get under control. That will save some time for him to come out with a compelling message. And to be clear, it's not Trump's fault, obviously, really, anything that has happened. This could have happened under anyone's watch. And I, you know, there were some, there were probably some valid criticisms at first that his rhetoric was obviously not great and the testing fiasco, but his last couple of press conferences have have, have actually, I think, been quite good. Um, Anthony Fauci, of course, deserves a you know, Medal of Honor when this whole thing is done, probably at this point. Um, I mean, as far as investing is concerned, I want to buy. I mean, it's not. If, 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 we might be entering a full-scale recession, but like buy now. I mean, like seriously, three thousand point Dow Jones drop. I mean, don't sell. You're you're a, you're a loser. You're a gullible loser if you sell at this point. But the politics of this are incredibly eerie. I thought Trump was a serious favorite for a re-election, literally a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Mm. It is dicey at best right now. Um, I think a lot of us should be focusing on. In our commentary, if we're trying to like advise the campaign, the White House, how to best salvage the ship, but it's looking pretty grim in this current moment. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you, although I will say I think... I would hope that he has there's something to how he reacts to all of these people. I mean, if we're talking about July or August, kids are out of school, so someone's got to stay home. Right. With, I mean, and work from home, maybe, but someone's got to stay home with the kids. You've got to keep the kids home. I mean, then you're talking about parents, even, you know, if you're in fast, if you're in food, if you're in the bar service, it, there are so many different industries um, where or subsets of groups where people have to stay home. They're forced to stay home. Perhaps they don't have a job. Maybe President Trump has a chance to, if he responds to that well, that he wins some of that credibility back. Josh? Yeah, I mean, look, there are ways for Trump to turn this into a positive, assuming that he gets under, not he, assuming that we as a country, as a world for that matter, get this horrific thing under control anytime soon or before November for that matter. 
The reality is that if we are to get this under control and if, if we somehow avoid a full-scale 1929-1987-2008 style financial crash and subsequent economic recession, there is a lot here that actually plays directly into Trump's political message. I mean, of course, remember, he ran as the anti-globalization, pro-nationalism, kind of fortress American candidate. And there's a lot to come out of this from a from a policy wonk perspective that's going to play directly into Trump's hands here. I mean, a lot of people are, are already talking. They're already talking about kind of bringing back our um, supply chain from China, medical devices in particular, but pharmaceuticals, also all sorts of other industries. And this, of course, coincides with the rise of Huawei. Our, our allies in Europe, with uh, the United Kingdom in particular, is. Uh, contracting with Huawei to build out their 5G network, uh, which most people in America are generally appalled by. So there's a lot of kind of anti-China rhetoric, um, maybe even pro-industrial policy, bring our back our manufacturing rhetoric that really should politically play right into Trump's hands. The question is just timing. Um, will we get under control in time for him to make that message? Yeah, Stu, what do you think? I mean, look, I think, you know, Trump, and we all recognize, and it doesn't need to be said, every disclaimer applies that this is 17,000th in the list of actual priorities, right? I mean, we have something that's really massive going on. I mean, they, the CDC did estimates of, of what this looks like, and their low-end estimate was 200,000 people dead. Their low-end. So, I mean, this is obviously, like, a huge, huge story for so many people in, in much bigger terms. From the Trump perspective, it's going to be hard, right? Like, how do you get reelected in this situation? Trump's strength has largely been built on the way the economy has been roaring, and it has been. And look, of course, it's not his fault. It's not his fault that this has happened. He's done some things well, I think, through here. Certainly, the ban from China travel early was very good. Uh, Europe as well. That was a smart thing to do, and he did it uh, you know, earlier than a lot of other countries. He's done some things well. He's, As Josh points out as well, some of the rhetoric has not been... Uh, great. So the testing situation was not great. But step back from this. Like we're following all of this stuff. We're we, you know we're doing a you know a podcast that people who listen to this are really well informed. The average person is going to see the economy in the crapper, and 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 they're just going to look at this guy who's on television all the time talking to them about it. When we get to, they just did a, an economic prediction uh, projection as to what this looks like. They think they're going to go into a recession, and they think quarter one, two thousand twenty one, is when we come out of it with a six plus percent uh, unemployment rate. I mean, if that happens, how does he win? I mean, it, it, now, <laughs> granted, Joe Biden is terrible and could easily and blow. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, where the. It's not like Joe Biden's been a pro-trade candidate over the years. I mean, he's been, you know, largely in that same area of trying to be I mean, he's, a lot of this thing he's held back. You know, and, and of course, the big issue here is, is, yes, there are definitely, as Josh points out, really good ties to uh, some of uh, what Trump has brought up over the years. Uh, especially the way that China has acted and the way they hid this from us. But really what this comes down to, as far as the spread goes, is just global travel. And there's no candidates trying to stop that. I don't know that he'd be able to overcome um, this if it actually turns into this bad of a situation. Um, My guess is the government is going to throw a lot of money Mm -hmm. at this to make sure that they can soften this as much as possible. And, uh, you know, this is one of those times where, it's actually a little bit more rational. When you go back to 2008, 2009, they're throwing money at a problem where a bunch of people running companies took too many risks and made mistakes and screwed their companies up. That's, a, that's totally different than this. This is something that really legitimately is out of everybody's control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that the global economy, you, you mentioned New York, you know, San Francisco, uh, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut, essentially shutting down. We have multiple countries. There's five or six in Europe that have basically done this. India. 
I mean, India is one of the biggest, you know, economies in the world that is basically cording itself off from everywhere else in the world. These are not circumstances. I don't think anyone is capable of handling a circumstance like this as president. And, you know, there's a lot of things. This goes along with, like, when uh, when you, uh, like, I remember when, when I first started dating my wife. You, of course, know my wife. Yes. Uh, when I first started dating my wife, I made sure when I picked her up, I had country music on. I hate country music. I don't <laughs> care about it at all. But I was like, ah, she'll associate me with like the good music that she likes and maybe you know, I don't know she'll go out with me again I don't know like I'm trying to play this I, makes so much like, sense as to how you got to oh, marry God. her no one understands you just it tricked her. no one understands basically I just tried to <laughs> I was like it was like subliminal messaging but like I think the average voter out there is going to just associate this terrible time with Donald Trump yeah. I don't know if there's a way to separate it we kind of pointed this out with uh, with Mike Pence he put Pence in front of, in front of this thing he's named him if I'm him, I'm putting Pence out there all the time. He's a calm, boring dullard of a voice. That's exactly what you need right now. A guy who's just going to blab on with big, you know, four or five syllable words and bore you to death. And then if he really screws up, Trump's going to be like, look, I, I gave it to, to Pence and he screwed it up. Where's Nikki Haley? Bring her in. That's probably, if it goes as bad as the worst case scenario, that might be his best chance. Josh, uh, what do you, do you think, would Trump have any success if he were able to do that and just dump all the blame on Pence. Uh, and also, Joe Biden, as Stu <coughs> mentioned, he is kind of the, the outlier in this scenario because typically when you're talking about uh, the incumbent having to deal with the really bad economy and, you know, people look at the economy as their deciding factor to vote, you're not talking about someone running for president in place of that person who, like, can't form coherent sentences. <laughs> Oh, what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, so I guess the most cynical of all possible strategies for the president to do would basically be to do what we've just described, which is toss 100% of the blame on Pence and then <laughs> actually dump Pence for someone else, right? I mean, that's like yeah. like literally just kind of get out there from the American people and say like, oh, you know, the vice president, he messed up so badly. He's gone now. He went home like a dog. I mean, like, that would be, like, the worst possible, or at least the most, at least, at least like, the most cynical scenario possible. I'm not suggesting that he do that. I think Mike Pence actually brings a lot of value to the ticket. Yeah. Um, if anything, his former governor status of a Rust Belt state could actually even play well into this kind of, like, anti-China, more pro-Rust Belt uh, industrial policy-style messaging. But that would be the most cynical of all. But I do think the Biden point, obviously, is particularly sound, and that's what the campaign probably should start to focus on. I mean, I was hoping that Trump would be able to run on, like, a very positive uh, agenda, like looking at the economy and people's 401ks and unemployment and all that. That was a week and a half, two weeks ago. We are past that timeline, and I think this is going to turn into a deeply ugly and deeply negative campaign, for better or for worse, probably for worse. But that is the path of least resistance forward. And there is a lot of fodder to work with on Joe Biden, not just the rhetoric, not just the gaps, but a lot of substantive rhetoric, a lot, sorry, a lot of substantive issues to kind of hammer home as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Coming up next, as we kind of alluded to before, major cities locking down, shutting down businesses. Is that a gross abuse of power or is it necessary? We'll get into that. But first, uh, you know what? When you are in isolation, now is a really good time to make sure that you have a cell phone company uh, that is not working against you because you're going to need your cell phone to call like your family members 
Because guess what? We're all stuck here for a while. Well, you guys are. We're not. We're expendable, as we mm-hmm. talked about before. Um, but uh, now is a really great time to make sure that you are with a cell phone provider that actually believes in what you believe in. Uh, most of these cell phone providers out there, they work with uh, Democrats. They donate a portion of your bill to Planned Parenthood and, you know, against gun rights. And it's not places that you really want them to donate your money to because on the other side, you're fighting for the values you believe in, like the right to bear arms, life, religious liberty, supporting veterans. You got to make sure that you have Patriot Mobile starting at just $25. They come with unlimited talk, text, and the same reliable nationwide service. No hidden fees. Switching is super easy. You can port your number over. I know people think they're going to lose their number. You don't lose your number in 2020. You don't have to worry about that. Go to patriotmobile.com news. You'll get free activation if you use offer code news. You'll get a free gift as well. And who doesn't like free gifts, especially when you're in self-quarantine? Because the mailman still delivers. And you're like, oh, my God, I got a gift from someone. It's going to make your day, all right? You can also call their U.S.-based customer service team, 972-PATRIOT. We got to stick together, especially right now. Support this great small business, by the way, American company who supports your values with every call you make. Go to patriotmobile.com news. That is patriotmobile.com news. obviously mounting pressure. New York City officials announced yesterday a sweeping shutdown of tens of thousands of bars and restaurants. They closed the city's public school system, uh, which, by the way, just the largest school system in the nation. So uh, no big deal, guys. Of course, in an effort to spread coronavirus, New York was not the only one. Uh, Los Angeles also decided to uh, be on lockdown. They have closed movie theaters, performance venues, bowling alleys, arcades, gyms, fitness centers, bars and nightclubs, just like, uh, you know, the the rest of them, private social clubs, restaurant and food facilities will be prohibited from serving food to dine-in customers. And uh, New New Jersey, Connecticut, they're also shutting bars down, restaurants, movie theaters, Um, Illinois, which we can kind of maybe change gears on because that's a little bit different vibe here. Uh, Illinois mayor passes a coronavirus emergency that gives her the power to ban the sale of guns, ammo, alcohol, and more, which I'm sorry, but if we're all going down, I don't want you taking my alcohol from me of all things, okay? I can at least get drunk in my own home. Thank you very much. Uh, but, but Stu, we, we were kind of talk, talking off air. Um, this is really kind of bordering this these public city officials shutting down private businesses, telling them they are not allowed to operate. Um, This is kind of borderline, like maybe over, uh, you know, abuse of power. Um, Some people may say it's justified. I don't personally believe that that we should be doing that, that we should look to the government to do that just because everyone's panicked. I think that's the worst time to let the government uh, do that and to sort of cede power uh, from the people. What do you think? It's a tough one. I mean, you know, as you know, I've, my, my whatever career I have is basically a 20-year uh, collection of me saying calm down to Glenn Beck. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I am not someone who gets super freaked out about every little turn in the news. I'm not, that's not my thing at all. Um, you know, but when you look at this, it's, it is a really tough one. I mean, this is a, this is a legitimate thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I think a lot of this, because of the way the media has been and been, done such a bad job in so many situations over and over and over again, there's a lot of people on the right that look at this and say, well, this is not, you know, this is a BS thing. They're going after Trump or whatever it is. And, like, 
they they will do that. They'll utilize this to, to try to take Trump out. Absolutely. But that's not what the story is about. Um, it really is a legitimate thing. It's a scary thing. And it's a big it's a big deal. I mean, all I've been doing for the last three or four weeks has been reading stupid reports about coronavirus. And and you look at this and you and you realize it is a uh, not only is it a serious situation, but it is a situation in which the only thing that has been successful has been widespread cracking down to the level that would make us all uh, uncomfortable with what they're doing to the Constitution. Like, you know, some of these places, not, it's not just China, who obviously went really, really hardcore, yeah. but South Korea and Singapore and Hong Kong have taken various versions of that, sometimes a little bit more friendly than China, um, <laughs> and and really just cracked down and cracked down early. And those countries have had success with it. Countries with more freedom um, have had less success with it. I mean, Italy and France, Spain, Germany, all of these countries have are getting obliterated by this right now. And all of their trends are straight up. I mean, it is... It's it's terrifying. It is terrifying. They have no even they're not even close to controlling this thing right now. Um, And so I understand the instinct Mm -hmm. um, and I understand, uh, you know, where we are as a country. We're not China. We're not a group of people who are used to getting told by the government we can't go out and get a hamburger. That is not who we are. Um, So it is a really tough balance. I mean, I I know that, you know, you don't want uh, you don't want companies, restaurants, businesses to go out of business. We have someone who works here whose brother is a bartender in New Orleans who's just out of work right now because who the hell is going to, no one's going out. Um, and they're going to, they're going to stop this. I mean, they're going to stop everything. You, like gyms are coming, all of these, th- like all of these businesses with the exception of the basics in, in any area where there's an outbreak are going to close down in the next few weeks. That's just going to happen. Um, I believe when this is all over, because I do think this is a real threat, and I am, I, you know, I don't know, it, it's very difficult to deal with. When this is over, we're going to all have a real fight to try to figure out how we don't let the government take all of this power that they're grabbing right now. I mean, that is going to be a serious, serious problem for freedom in this country and all around the world. Um, I don't know how you stop it before that, though. I, I think they're going to they're going to do this here. You're not going to have enough time to try to turn it around. They're going to do it. Um, I do think what they are going to do as well is take a bunch of money that they are going to borrow and throw it at every bartender that isn't yeah. working. And they're going to make sure that these businesses, to the best of their ability, get all sorts of funding that would make us all incredibly comfortable and would be absolutely fairly called a bailout. But a bailout to something that is completely out of all of these people's control is different than I think what we saw in 2008. We are, though, in a real, I mean, this is a real situation. Think about how far we've come so fast. It was just Wednesday night where the NBA is like, oh, we've got a game in Oklahoma City. Oh, no, the whole season's canceled. That was just last Wednesday. Here we are on Monday, and we are all sitting here assuming that we're not going to be able to go out in our local city at some point soon, or if you're one of these cities already affected, it's already over. Mm-hmm. That is a massive change. You know, Josh pointed this out in the first uh, in the first segment. I have never been through anything like this in my entire life. You're way older than Josh and me. Yes, I'm like ancient compared to you guys. Uh, But when I was like six or seven, there probably was something. No, I mean, 9-11, I really remember. I was doing this type of show on 9-11. I was, you know, they're covering it. It was intense. But I mean, like, to to use it as an example, they they delayed baseball six days after 9-11. 
six days. Mm-hmm. Like this is yeah. multiple leagues seasons being canceled at the same time. And that's just a minor part of this. You know, they're talking a lot of these universities are just ending the year. They're not even letting these people, kids have graduation ceremonies. Our kids are delayed for two weeks in school. I think your ears won so far, but that's going to extend. We all understand that. But I mean, in reality, are our kids going back to school this year? Probably not. They're probably just going to summer vacation. I mean, I think there's a really good chance of that. If my wife hears that, she's going to go completely insane. <laughs> and that is the real risk is do I that's go true. insane because my wife is insane? It's true. Wow. That's, that's the, the why it that's the why it matters <laughs> yes, of the, the show, right. actually. Um, Josh, what do you think? Is this is this a justified uh, reversal of freedom shutting down all of these all of these businesses? So there's a lot going on here to unpack. I thought I think Stu did a really good job of it. But historically, going back hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, of course, um, domestic global crises, um, health pandemics, things of this nature have oftentimes been justified as a way for politicians to seize power. That's not a particularly novel insight. That's happened time and time and time again. Um, this is actually for one of the kind of paleoconservative critiques, if you will, kind of like the uh, the Old South critiques of, of, the, of the Lincoln presidency, is that Lincoln kind of glommed onto the Civil War to seize power for himself. Uh, I'm a Lincoln guy. I do, I do not subscribe to this narrative, but that's probably the most popular narrative along these lines that, that I can think of from American history. So, you know, I'm a lawyer by training, so I, t- I think about a lot of this from like a legal and constitutional perspective. Now, the president does not have the unilateral authority to kind of issue a statement from the White House and say, we are shutting down business across the country. That is not something that he can do. At the same time, um, on a state or local level, the original understanding of the Constitution did allow substantial leeway for states and municipalities to regulate the health, moral, and public safety of their citizenry. Um, That probably included full-on quarantines at the time of the American founding. The question, of course, is whether the 14th Amendment, which kind of... um, I'm not going to say it flipped uh, federalism on its head, but it definitely cut into federalism, whether that affected that. I think some libertarian legal scholars, uh, my friend Randy Barnett comes to mind, might say that there are certain clauses in Section 1 of the 14th Amendment that actually have an affirmative constitutional right to economic liberty, that if you really want to take it so far, could actually extend to kind of this um, this bartender in New Orleans that we're talking about, that you have a constitutional right to do that and the government cannot infringe on that. That is a it's a very, very, very strong view of the 14th Amendment. I don't think it's a mainstream one, even among right of center originalist scholars. It's certainly not one that I personally subscribe to. So I do think that these are legally justified. As far as the policy, whether it's prudent to do so, I, I, I honestly come down on this where I don't think there's such thing as taking too much caution right now. I really don't. And there are two reasons for that that I can think of. The first is is moral and the second is economic. From a moral perspective, um, my friend Yoram Hazoni, who's an Israeli political philosopher based in Jerusalem, had a really, really wonderful thread on this. He's, he's actually been a really great follow in general throughout this whole crisis, talking about how Judeo-Christian society, if we want to go to scripture, whether it's Jewish or Christian scripture, we really have a unique responsibility to our elders. And it's the elderly, of course, who we are trying to protect the most through potentially going too far and shutting down all these businesses. Because, look, I, you know, I, you can be young and jovial and go to the bar on Saturday night and think that you're not going to be affected. But the reality is that the, there are unknown externalities from even young, generally healthy people interacting in, in those environments. You could pick up the disease and then unwittingly transmit it. So there are serious, serious, serious externalities here that I do think justify 
um, morally something of this measure, especially because we do have this unique social obligation, I think, to our elders. From an economic perspective, I think Stu made a really, really, really important point that I would like to hammer home. What made the 2008 bailout so questionable was that these financial institutions, these banks, should have been pricing into their entire cost-benefit analysis exactly the kind of thing that happened there, taking on uh, you know, over-leveraging, the mortgage-backed securities, uh, everything that happened, they should have been taking into account. And the problem there, for, from, from a bailout perspective, is, of course, moral hazard. There's really no such thing as a moral hazard here for, an, for a government emergency patch. I'm not blanket i'm not blanketly you know uh, advocating that we do whatever fiscal stimulus nancy pelosi cooks up with but i think the risk of a moral hazard is seriously diminished compared to 2008 because there was just no world in which this could have possibly been foreseen businesses were not taking anything remotely resembling this into their hiring employ, employment decisions or anything of that nature so for those two reasons both the moral to the elderly and the economic moral hazard point, I do, I do not think it's an overreaction. I think that these cities and states are doing the right thing mostly. Yeah. Uh, all right. When we come back, Illinois mayor, mayor of Champaign, Illinois, issued a coronavirus-related emergency declaration that could allow for them to, you know, just ban your Second Amendment rights. What, what could possibly go wrong during the middle of a pandemic? Back in a minute. The mayor of Champaign, Illinois, has issued a coronavirus-related emergency declaration that could allow her office to ban uh, the sale of firearms, ammunition, ban the sale of any alcohol, of course, closing of all the bars, uh, ban sale or giving away of gasoline, which, uh, okay, that's a little mm. weird, uh, take possession of private property. Um, so uh, here's my question to you guys. I just want to just to play devil's advocate a little bit. If the argument is that we're okay or that it's it's okay to take away freedom um, if it's for the safety and security of the people, who gets to decide what is acceptable and what is not? Because it's this seems to be the problem to me is that it's all subjective and it's a slippery slope when you start taking away the freedoms because this woman in Illinois is saying, well, for the safety and security mm-hmm. of my personal city, mm-hmm. we got to ban the sale of guns. Yeah, and look, I totally agree with you. It is a slippery slope, and it's we're in incredibly dangerous territory here with the stuff. I I don't doubt that at all. Um, you know, I, I'm very nervous about it. Uh, so I, I you know I don't, I'm not like a full fledged endorsement. Ban everything whenever you see there's a slight problem. Yeah. I think this is a really serious one, um, and I don't. Even then, most of the time, I would still say don't do anything. And when it comes to guns, I feel like. That's something that's completely unrelated to this problem, right? Like it's like it's like well, global warming for gasoline. What's the reasoning here? I mean, it's got nothing to do with this. People, people, it's not being passed by you know bullet. This is not this is not how this disease spreads. Like it does spread when you have a lot of people in a small area. So I mean, I you know I think like that's just an obvious overreach for uh, uh, for, uh, for power here, mm-hmm. um, and you know obviously. It is something constitutionally guaranteed, though there are limitations. And let Josh uh, speak to the legalities of whether you could even do that. I mean, I don't, I don't know that you could, but maybe there's some situation I'm not thinking of. I think as you, st- like I used to get beat up all the time for when we would talk to people on the left, and they would say, 
um, you know, like, oh, you're, you know, you're basically a libertarian. You don't want the government to do anything. And I'm like, well, no, there's a few things in the Constitution they're allowed to do. I mean, you know, there's national defense and you know, some law enforcement, some judicial stuff. Isn't there anything else you want them to do? The only thing I could ever come up with was like, I don't know, like infectious disease. I mean, when, they, it, when it comes to this, a situation like this. Yeah. It's kind of the only thing that I actually want the government to do. And, of course, it's the one thing they're not doing, which is amazing. When you go back at, at this, and I think we'll hopefully eventually come to this conclusion at the end of this, there is so much waste. We throw away so much money. We've gone into debt over turtle tunnels and bridges to nowhere and all the nonsense the one thing we should be prepared for is this. We should have all the masks. We should have all the resources to produce the tests. We should have all of these things able to go into effect as quickly as possible. This shouldn't be the difficult thing for the federal government to do. This should be the thing they're prepared for. And, of course, it's the one thing they're not prepared for. Yeah. Josh, what are your thoughts? So the Second Amendment example is, is I think, a good one. Um, the obvious difference between the Second Amendment and, um, you know, the purported uh, unenumerated right to pursue employment that I kind of raised on the last segment. The, the obvious difference is that, is that the Second Amendment is enumerated, and that is a textual right, and it is incorporated against the states. Uh, the Supreme Court held that in, in McDonald versus City of Chicago in 2010. And what that means is that governments, like, no matter what, can, can not infringe on that. Um, so from a legal standpoint, I think that's actually quite different than, um, for example, uh, your so-called right uh, to pursue a living, which is which is a moral right, but it is not a constitutionally enumerated right. Um, so that, legally, I think in my mind that makes a ton of difference. Um, now, look, I, as far as like the, the general liberty security trade off and kind of the framing here, um, you know, the, the old Chinese military historian and general uh, Sun Tzu, who lived many, 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 many centuries ago uh, in, in you know, 200 to 300 BC or something like that. He had a very famous quote where he said, the battle is often won beforehand by choosing the terrain on which it is fought. It's actually a quote that um, Ted Cruz has actually often been fond of invoking, especially when he was a litigator. When he, when he was Solicitor General of Texas, he would often invoke this Sun Tzu strategy. He, he talks about it in his 2015 book, actually, talking about how when he was litigating cases, he would always try to pick how to frame the issue in the terrain. I think for some, for those of us who um, fall into the so-called more common good end of conservatism, what we're trying to do is we're trying to pick that terrain. Now, in so doing, that doesn't mean that our argument is always going to win. But I think that the arguments from both sides should be phrased within that framework. So, for example, uh, to give you a concrete example, especially with respect to the gun thing, mm. a friend of mine yesterday actually had an interesting suggestion to me. He said that a good idea for Republican legislators to try to get into this coronavirus bill that is, I guess, currently being uh, or is stalling right now on the Senate side would actually be a firearm registration reciprocity. Because think about it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about concealed carry, but I'm just talking about registration. The, the idea here is that if you are stuck at home quarantined with your family for weeks on end, you should have an affirmative right to defend that home. If you can't leave it, mm -hmm. you don't want to be unarmed for a while. Mm -hmm. So that is a kind of um, common good style argumentation that I think is proper argumentation. I, I, having said all this, we are in increasingly uncharted waters, and this is obviously a slippery slope. I don't think any of us are deeply confident about uh, where this will go. We're kind of all prognosticating the best we possibly can. Yeah. All right. When we come back, uh, finally, there was a debate last night. Who knew with all this coronavirus going on, there was a Democratic debate last night. I think it was just a rerun uh, called Grumpy Old Men. But we'll get into that when we return. <laughs>
Well, there was a uh, Democratic presidential debate last night, in case you guys did not know, which probably many of you didn't know and didn't watch. But uh, we wanted to lighten it up a little bit. So let's get into just a couple highlights from that debate. Uh, my personal favorite was let's let's do the Joe Biden gaffe first. We got to do the Joe Biden gaffe first because you know that there are a lot to keep up with. We got to put this one on your radar. Uh, Joe Biden talking about, of course, coronavirus was a very heavy subject in last night's debate. Joe Biden talking about coronavirus, but then he mixes it up with uh, H1N1, but then H1N1 becomes something totally different. Watch. We did that. We've been through this before with the coronavirus. We've been through this before. I mean, excuse me. We've been through this before with uh, dealing with the viruses that the N1H15, as well as what happened in Africa. <laughs> now, many people were saying he just mixed it up and said N1H1. There was a five in there. I explicitly heard a, it was N1H15, which really is confusing because I don't know where the five came from. I, I really don't. I'm terrified. Does he have a new virus he's going to unleash on us? Is that what he's saying? (laughs) Something's coming. N1H15. Now, here was uh, one more clip, and then, gentlemen, I want to get your thoughts, of Bernie and Biden fighting over who has more super PAC support and who will condemn them. Watch. It's good that you had an idea 30 years ago. I don't want to join you. Why don't you join me? Why don't you get rid of the super PAC that you have right now? which is running very ugly negative ads about me, by the way. <laughs> Don't laugh, Joe. That's just the truth. And they got two other super PACs running ads against us. Why don't you just say right now, go on television and say, hey, you know what? I think in the past, Joe, if I'm not mistaken, you condemned super PACs. Is that correct? You get rid of the nine super PACs you have? I don't have nine super, I don't have any have super nine. You want me to list them? No. Yeah, you go ahead and list okay. them. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> Well, I think Bernie called his bluff there. Yeah, uh, yeah go ahead and list them. Come on. I, I'm not going to do that. I'll list them. <laughs> Stuart, your quick thoughts. Uh, Eli, I, like, I hope that Joe Biden just came up with that off the top of his head, the nine thing, because that <laughs> means he's pretty sharp. Like, hey, what about your nine super PACs? Uh, <laughs> hey, it's a great way to come back at him. Look, I mean, first of all, you can't get rid of a super PAC. You no. can't have any contact with a Nothing super Nothing to do with him. rule says you can't do it. You can go on television and say, please don't run ads against Bernie Sanders, that you can't have any effect on that whatsoever. It's really a silly thing. Um, you know, and, and look, as Biden went on to explain, he's been outspent by tons and tons and tons of money in this campaign uh, compared to Bernie Sanders. He's the underdog when it comes to spending here. I don't know why Sanders thinks that's a winning argument. Yeah, Josh, what do you think? So, you know, I was watching this debate last night and a, um, a, a Jewish friend of mine texted me. He said, this debate reminds me of the Jewish community center, just old men bickering over nothing in the sauna room. <laughs> and like, it was just like, it, it, it was like very, it's just like very telling. I mean, it, it kind of reminded me of just like an old school, like New York city style deli. You have people just kind of going in there like with their rockers and their canes. Oh, what kind of soup do we have on the menu today? <laughs> I mean, it was really like unbearable, unwatchable television. I, 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 I sincerely hope your viewers did not suffer through this the way that I did. Or, I mean, I had it on the background and I really think that I even suffered through it, but look, <laughs> Bernie Sanders, if we're talking about the actual race right now, is obviously a severe underdog at this point. I mean, I haven't kept up uh, the last couple of days with the uh, prediction markets, but I mean, he is a severe, severe underdog. So at this point, he's just throwing him out the wall to see what sticks. But I mean, of course, what Stu said is correct. I mean, Joe Biden legally cannot coordinate with the super PACs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, in, that is a, a particularly unfair line of attack. Um, but he's truly in desperation mode right now. So... We'll see where it goes next. I mean, I mean, he really has no incentive not to uh, stick around to the convention, which I predict he probably will do. Yeah. Um, Okay. so 
what we all know because we we live and breathe politics we all know that they can't have anything to do with their own super PACs, right mm -hmm. why don't they just say that on television like why the back and forth are they trying to just take advantage of the fact that the average american has absolutely no idea how super PACs work because to me that's my i'm like I, yeah, the rules say I can't have anything to do with that. What the hell do you want me to do? Right, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, look, there's an argument to say that if Joe Biden comes on and says, guys, please stop running these ads, that maybe they would. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, it's, it's you know, behind the scenes, it all the like aides the obvious would defense, be, though. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and I, I have heard some candidates say that. I don't know why. I mean, Biden, God only knows what he says. H1N15 or N1H15 <laughs> or whatever it is. You never know what's going to come out of Biden's mouth. Um, you know, really, Biden has a clear path here. He, Sanders needed a turnaround knockout type of moment and did, you know, did not get it. No one was paying attention to it, even if he did get it. Um, really, the best chance here for Sanders is that, you know, that probably he gives it does terribly with older voters. If older voters are terrible or, excuse me, terrified to go to the polls yeah. because of the coronavirus, maybe that gives him some sort of a chance to pull this a little bit closer than it is, which is a crazy thing. I cannot believe tomorrow all these states are going to have these votes. I, I, I mean, Georgia postponed, Louisiana postponed. I'm surprised more states are not postponing. Mm. I mean, Florida's going ahead with it. I, you know, Florida, the retirement capital of the world, is going to pack all these people into tiny booths so they can all touch the same button over and over again. Mm -hmm. Seems like a bad idea, mm -hmm. but they're going ahead with it anyway. That's surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, Josh, final thoughts on this particular subject. Um, Joe Biden, you heard him laughing, right? He was kind of laughing in this snarky way whenever Bernie uh, said that his the super PACs were running negative ads uh, uh, against him. How does that play? Because I know the Bernie bros obviously probably really upset that Joe acted in that manner. How does that play in the general to perhaps the independents or people who may be swayed on either side if Joe Biden acts like that uh, in the general debates? You got about a minute. So, I mean, the obvious guess is that it's not exactly going to help Joe Biden. But, you know, I'm thinking back to the 2012 vice presidential debate. I mean, do y'all remember that? Like yes. Joe Biden versus Paul Ryan. Joe Biden came across oh, as such jerk. a jerk mm -hmm. in that debate. He was just like condescendingly laughing the entire time at Paul Ryan, who's like, what, 25, 30 years, his junior. So, I mean, my instinct to say it's not going to help him. But the only historical precedent example I have is that it didn't really matter. So, I don't know. Um, if Biden does debate Trump in the general election, though, I think that Trump would demolish him. That is probably to get back to the first segment that we did. That is probably Trump's best chance is just to just absolutely savage Joe Biden in like a UFC style cage match on that debate stage. <laughs> All right. Back in a minute. It's true. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like he has two modes in that moment. Friday's poll, who will the coronavirus issue hurt the most in the 2020 race? 45% of you said Donald Trump. I'm kind of surprised mm. that's not higher. 43% of you said Joe Biden, followed by Bernie Sanders at 12%. I'm not sure who, if maybe they mean Bernie Sanders might contract coronavirus <laughs> and be affected by it because he does seem to be the most vulnerable. Maybe that's what the 12% meant. Um, I mean, that's a fact. We've seen hundreds of these polls. Donald Trump never would have that result. I mean, right. it's obvious, right, who this yeah. affects. It really does hurt Donald Trump's chances to be reelected. It depends on how he handled it. We always talked about that example with Bush and Katrina. Mm -hmm. Bush, the perception of Bush during Katrina was that he was incompetent. If that perception exists with Trump, he's going to lose for sure. 
So he needs to figure out a way to fight that off. Well, and it's hard, too, because you've got the media who obviously yep. wants to portray him no Absolutely. matter what he does mm-hmm. as completely incompetent. And so it's hard to fight against that when He's you have the media. Uphill. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's certainly an uphill battle. All right. Today's poll. Are you isolating or living life as normal? Josh, I know what your answer is, but I'm going to ask you anyway to answer the poll question. <laughs> Sarah, I think that responsible viewers of this program should join me in self-quarantining. It is not the most glamorous lifestyle, but I'm told that they have whiskey delivery services now, so it is doable. (laughs) Yeah, and well, and at least, I mean, come on, you've had enough time to prepare. You could have gone to the liquor store and stocked up by now. Now, Stu, self-isolate or living life is normal. I mean, I feel like People could be reasonable and say, I'm not totally isolating. I got to go to the grocery store, yeah. but I'm not living life as normal because that would be irresponsible. Yeah, I think that's the, the right thing to do. Look, you got you, you to gotta take steps, do what you can to protect the people around you. And, and you know, but at some level, right, you have to still be alive. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Luck, luckily, we live in a country that's had a great run with capitalism. Our houses are pretty nice. Not a bad place to stay sometimes. That's a Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.